Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Wendy Schofer. Dr. Schofer is a certified life and health coach and pediatrician who specializes in helping parents struggling with their kids' weight and obesity. Unlike medical weight loss programs, she doesn't focus on what's wrong with the child or try to fix their weight with diets, exercise, pills, and surgery. Instead, she empowers the parent to focus on what matters most to lead the whole family to lifelong healthy habits. In the episode, Dr. Schofer shares why it's important to place less emphasis on an individual child's weight and more emphasis on creating a healthy whole family, the role of a parent when it comes to preparing and serving food, which might surprise you, how parents can model healthy eating behaviors for their children, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is, until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I order on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been dieting for years, but nothing you've tried has helped you keep the weight off long-term, I'm so happy you're hearing this right now, because outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, eating clean 24-7, or other unsustainable extremes. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that are one-size-fits-all and only provide short-term results, I help you make effortless, evidence-based habit changes so that you can drop those pesky pounds for good, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. Learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com, and don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I always love hearing from you. All right, let's hear from Dr. Schofer. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. 
Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Oh, my goodness. It is such a pleasure to connect with you here, Brooke. We connected, I think, in one of our business coaching groups, which is always exciting because it's a pretty dynamic Facebook group we're in, and we're learning from this great mentor of just growing our own businesses. But uh, I think you know they used to do a live event in person, and we're doing it virtually this year. But it's always fun to connect with people outside of that on the podcast and in other ways. So I'm really happy that our paths crossed. So, yeah, I love it uh, how you, you describe it as connecting because uh, so much can get lost in the ether when you have all these different voices piping in, but actually making that like face, well, not even face-to-face, direct contact. How about that? <laughs> right. And it's on social media. I don't know about you, but people sometimes will even apologize when they'll message me or something. And I'll say, no, no, I love this. You know, I love when people actually use social media as a means to be social and to have that connection, because I think that's what's really cool about it. Yeah, the real authentic human connection. Oh, awesome. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> we need that so much, right? Well, I would love if you could share a bit about your background, specifically what led you to become a pediatrician in the first place, and then eventually to become interested specifically in helping parents who are worried about their overweight kids. Wow, I haven't been asked the question about becoming a pediatrician for a little while. I'm used Mm. to that being the question when I'm talking with high schoolers. So I love this. (laughs) Oh, great. Um, Yeah, no, it's something that I got to tell you, my entire life has just, you know, been this journey that it's not this direct line. Um, To be very honest with you, I went off to school because I fell in love with genetics way back when. Um, back in high school, you know, those Punnett squares, and I totally geeked out on that. And I thought at that time, what is it called? Um, CSI was on Mm. TV, that kind of stuff was coming out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to go into genetic fingerprinting and doing all this crazy stuff and let me out in the field. And I want (laughs) to... Anyway, long story short, I didn't like laboratory medicine one bit or Mm. laboratory research, um, any of it. I needed, again, that connection with people. And as I was in college studying biology, studying genetics, I was doing volunteerism. And I just found that I connected with people when they were having their biggest challenges, you know, volunteering in the emergency room and uh, as the the parents were being taken off to be evaluated after, you know, car accidents, I was left, you know, I was going to say left, but I, I was um, basically there to watch the kids, to hang out with them and, and console them and, you know, entertain them. And I just really connected with the kids hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of through that wandering road, you know, I did decide to go off to medical school. I didn't know I wanted to be a pediatrician. I wanted to do everything that I was doing at the time. But ultimately, it's where my heart just really kind of felt like I fit in. Uh, They always describe like, which Christmas card party do you want to go to? Uh, Do you want to go to the party with the, you know, surgeons? Do you want to go to the party with... With the nephrologist, which, by the way, that's a pretty kicking party if you know about kidney <laughs> doctors. Um, or do you want to go to the party with the pediatricians? I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to go to the pediatrician Christmas party. <laughs> that's a fun way to think about it. 
<laughs> but uh, and then my husband went into emergency medicine. So I get to go to those parties, too. So I can't argue. <laughs> oh, good. You get all types of parties. All the parties, all the parties. But yeah, I mean, it was really just connecting. And I really liked being able to work with parents. Um, you know, as much as so many other people, like that's kind of, it, it, it's so funny where they describe it as the downside of pediatrics. And then there's the mm. parents like, no, no, no. I really like working with the parents. It's this collaboration and how we're both working and advocating for the health of the child. And that is so working through the parent. And so it was really early on that I got to see that importance that that role right. that the parents play and really support them. You know, it's not about all this other stuff um, all around, you know, other things that they need. It's really looking at how we can help parents uh, help their families. That's an uh, interesting and great way to think about it. Because when you think about being a coach or a doctor, there's only so far you can get with a toddler, right? You can't really coach a toddler to make their own meals or to buy certain things. I mean, it really does come from the parents. That makes so much sense. Well, and ultimately, you know, I there's a lot of things that in this day and age, it, it's kind of like saying you need to do this and get that and you know, have these different things are all external to the family. And that's where I keep on bringing it back to, you know, what is it that the parent, what role does the parent want to play in their own home? Um, You know, there's so many different ways to outsource, you know, as we're talking about nutrition, as we're talking about, you know, physical activity, as we're talking about academics, you know, all these different supports for our kids. But how can we really help the parents in really, you know, being that that leader at home, really feeling like, all right, I got this. I I am the the person that can really help my child here and not feeling like they have to get all of these other things from out and about in the community because ultimately you do have the power, you do have the, um, the tools at home. It's just figuring out how to use them. Mm. Why specifically were you interested in helping parents who are worried about their overweight kids? You know, to be honest with you, it, it's something that I, over time in my general pediatrics practice, I found that I just kind of gravitated towards certain um, families towards a certain patients and they were the ones that weren't the quick easy fix you know mm-hmm. which is still sounding even pejorative to me right now to even say that but you know it wasn't the the quick easy here's your antibiotic and go i wanted to build the relationships i wanted to understand uh, what was going on at home and be with folks over the long haul and so i if you will, like collected patients, you know, I collected my patients who had developmental concerns, um, behavioral concerns, and then over time, it evolved more and more that I had families who had weight concerns. Mm -hmm. And I just never really felt like I was getting anywhere for them. It wasn't with them, you know, it, it wasn't something I was trying to change them, but I just felt like I wasn't really helping them. You know, it's the eat less, move more. Here's your, you know, referral to 
um, nutrition. Here is um, your laboratory studies because, you know, we're going to check on your cholesterol and your A1C. And I'll see you back in six months. And it just never felt like anything was changing. And um, what the, the hardest part for me was that I saw in the parents, actually the changes, how it was kind of like this, this sadness about coming in about, you know, that, that talk about the, the growth curves and the BMI. And I just saw how it was kind of weighing on them. You know, they were kind of like, <laughs> kind of like this Russian roulette kind of thing, like, ooh, what's she going to tell me this time? Is it going to be good news or is it going to be bad news? And there was just so much emphasis being placed on those measurements that I felt that there was something missing. I just didn't know what it was. I had no idea. Um, and so I just kept on looking, I kept on searching, I kept on um, working in the community and in, in different programs. I, I was looking for a diabetes prevention program for my local uh, nonprofit that works with the, the community to address the social determinants of health. That's a long description of basically saying I was volunteering <laughs> mm. outside of the office, but um, it's something that, uh, I, I was finding that we kept on prescribing things for families and we weren't actually working with the families. We weren't really understanding what was going on. We weren't understanding their day-to-day -day routines, their habits, but even deeper than that, the meaning that was being given to the weight. Hmm. Interesting. And yeah. yeah, that that was the part that it really kind of opened up for me. It was really getting into the psychology of weight, the psychology of feeding. Um, and that opened up a, a whole new world for me. Um, totally different conversations than I had ever had before in the office. Right. You say it really beautifully on your website. You write, even as a pediatrician, I still had worries about my family's weight and health. Controlling food and activity just created friction with my kids, and I thought I was failing them. Through coaching, that changed because I changed. The family and focus approach was born from my own powerful transformation. Uh, again, just very beautifully written. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's so true. I mean, it's... I, I'm trying to figure out where to start with everything. I mean, I, I had my own concerns for my family as, you know, my, my kids were always, you know, growing at a certain place on their growth charts until they weren't. And then when I started seeing that, it was like this double-edged sword, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I know enough to get me into, the, into trouble. But then I was like, I can't seem to help my kids out of this. Like I, um, was thinking, well, I need to get them to eat less and move more and, and address, you know, what it is that they're actually eating. And it started causing so much more friction because the last thing that a preteen or teenager wants to ever be told is what to do ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. But, you know, under that guise of, you know, me thinking that I know what healthy is, that I know what the answers are, because I mean, of course I'm a doctor. I know this. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it caused so much friction. And that was a thing where I started seeing how it was um, that that friction started looking like disconnection. It started looking like sneaking food around the house, hiding food. Um, the things that I was like, why are we doing this? I don't understand what's going on. And it's because I, I was turning into like this momzilla that I was trying to control things that were not mine to control. I didn't have those words back then. I didn't have that. I just, you know, I thought I need to control more. And uh, yeah, and, and that was something that, you know, I encountered coaching uh, later on, you know, so this was going on for quite honestly, a couple of years. And then I encountered coaching and I noticed how it was changing my relationships um, with me getting coached on just it, random things. I did not approach coaching with one particular problem in mind. And all of a sudden, I noticed how my relationships with my mother and my mother-in-law were so very different. I'm like, oh my God, if this works for me, hold on a minute. If this works here, <laughs> like I started translating all of that into my other relationships. And that's when it clicked for me. And I started noticing that I had the ability to have a different relationship with my kids, a different relationship with food and the role that control had in my life, I was using it like this powerful tool that it was actually just hurting us. Yeah. Wow. So if someone's listening to this, maybe they're experiencing that same kind of friction right now and they're wanting their kids to maintain a healthy weight and eat nutritious foods, but they don't really know how to make that happen. Yeah. What do you, what does that person do? <laughs> Yeah. And so here's the thing. The doctor answer would be to say, this is exactly what you do. You know, you give them this much and you, you know, get them to move this often and you have a set uh, menu that you need mm -hmm. to feed them from the healthy list. And I actually step back with that and actually look at more of what is my role as a parent and what is the kid's role? And a lot of this sounds like a division of responsibility, um, which, you know, for those that aren't familiar, um, Ellen Satter uh, created the, the division of responsibility of feeding, where she talks about what parents are responsible for and what kids are responsible for. So very, very abbreviated here. <laughs> the parents are responsible for basically um, when the food is going to be served, um, where it's going to be served, and what's going to be served. And then after that, the kids are responsible for if they're going to eat, and then, you know, how much they're going to eat. And I started applying that to other areas. So thinking about how, as a parent, I'm responsible for kind of creating the environment setting the stage, setting the table, if you will, because that's like where that division of responsibility ends. The parent sets the table <laughs> with, you know, what's the food that, that's going to be served when and where, okay, they've set it. And then after that, the kids come in. And 
So I start talking with parents about, well, what is that environment that you're setting for your kids so that they can then be themselves? They can be kids. They can, you know, do the activities that bring them joy. They can eat the foods that they're hungry for and let go of the rest of the control. Mm. Is it's it, no one set answer. That That's yeah. the, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, uh, so do you then recommend, let's say, sort of teaching about nutrition and healthy eating habits through example more than kind of telling? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Kids, kids learn in school. It's funny when they, they get all of the different sheets about, you know, circling the, the healthy foods and, you know, you get your green light and your red light foods that, that they uh, start learning in school. But I think more than anything else at home, we get the ability to model for our kids. And, you know, looking at what kind of habits do we want to create? What kind of patterns do we want to create? Well, that involves modeling that for our kids. And honestly, that's why I work with parents. I, I don't directly coach on kids' weight, on kids' eating habits. I coach the parents so that they can look at, well, what are the habits that we want to create at home? Because it's mm -hmm. not about the individual child. It How often parents are talking about, you know, I've got one child who's overweight, and we're trying to be so mindful about what he's eating and not letting him get into these things. But then I've got this other kid who needs to put on more weight. And mm -hmm. so we're trying to force, you know, food on them. And it's like, okay, hold on a minute. Let's step back for a minute. How can you create habits for the whole family, no matter what their weight is? Let them eat what their bodies are calling for, okay, what they're hungry for, but you're still creating that, um, that menu, having the foods that you feel are appropriate for everybody in the household, and then start letting them learn how to trust their own bodies, to listen to their own bodies. Is it true that very young kids, I think I've seen this on um, one of the toddler feeding accounts or something, I don't have kids yet, but I follow some of those but I remember somebody posting that um, babies and toddlers have kind of more of an internal sense of when they're hungry and when they're full. And we kind of lose that as we age. Is that mm. backed by science? Is that something you've seen? So I can't speak to the part about us losing it as we age. That That's something I, I can't, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Yeah, but I can say that it is so very true that babies and you know young toddlers are oh, magical. It is wonderful to watch them because they'll go and eat something and then they'll run off and go play some more. Mm -hmm. And then they'll come back when they're hungry and they'll eat something and they'll run off again. And it's funny just watching them. It's like the most natural experiment of observing what what hunger really looks like mm. and you know it's um, 
you know, like young babies, like <laughs> we always joke around that, that an awake baby is, is a hungry baby when you're talking about infants, but it's like, they just have these natural rhythms and natural cues. And it's like, all right, I'm going to let you know I'm hungry right now. And then I'm just going to get all settled in. I'm happy. You know, you don't need to keep on feeding me, you know, that, that baby that's content and you can really read their cues and you can understand what's going on pretty easily. And then as they get older, we start kind of fighting against that. And the prime example that I have is with toddlers. Um, toddlers, oh man, they are just magical creatures. Um, <laughs> they, they are, um, there's a decrease in their growth rate. So if you think about like the two-year-old, okay, they've been growing like crazy over the first like two years of life. And then there's just a natural kind of, um, just a, kind of a decrease in their growth velocity. They're not gaining weight as quickly as they had uh, previously. So their appetite can decrease with that. Also, at the same time, they're learning that magical word, no. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and they're using it, practicing it like wonderfully. And so there's so much friction that's created because parents get concerned. Oh my God, my kid doesn't want to eat. And he's saying no. Well, it's normal. He's got a decreased appetite. And oh, by the way, he's also learning the power of this word. But parents start forcing kids to eat. They start chasing them with food. They start trying to, you know, figure out what is it that I'm going to do at dinner time, which if you look at the at toddlers, they often eat like in the daytime hours and then less so in the evening. Mm. But then parents will be like accommodating, like, well, I'm going to make something that I know he'll eat. And that's actually where we start getting into the picky eating cycle, where we start accommodating like kids are saying no because they're not hungry. And they also love the word no. And then it's like we're sweetening the pot. Ah, I'm going to make this food that he really, really likes. I'm just going to make mac and cheese again and again and again. Because I know he'll eat that. And so it's actually something where we're kind of fighting that natural toddler um, appetite cycle, um, their growth and their development and then we get the gift of the picky eater after that. Mm. So it's just fascinating. I, I, <laughs> it, it sounds almost like, you know, what would it be like to just let toddlers be in the wild? Um, <laughs> you know, to just, you know, not be um, manipulating their, their diet or just letting them just kind of truly eat when they're hungry let us know when they are satisfied and then leave it alone. They are still growing. They are definitely growing. So is what I'm hearing, let's say, um, cause I've seen this with nieces and nephews too. Maybe they'll eat a very big breakfast and then they'll eat a bigger lunch. And then at dinner, they're just kind of picking and they're not as hungry. So if you serve something, let's say you just serve small pieces of whatever you're eating and they end up not eating a lot if they were actually hungry is what you're suggesting they would eat that food or find something in that, that they was at least kind of palatable, but if they're not that hungry, they'll kind of pass on it and they'll probably make up for it at breakfast. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that says that you have to have like this equal division of your intake, you know, um, amongst your three or however many meals per day that it has to be like <laughs> equal quantities. Um, kids, especially toddlers, um, toddlers tend to eat more at different meals and it's okay. It evens out, you know, even like from day to day, there may be some days that they eat a lot more and other days that they just don't, but that's okay. You know, it, it, it's looking at the long pattern, not the individual meals or the, even the individual days, you know, nutritionally, they're getting what they need. You, it, it's just helpful to kind of look almost like you're at a 30,000 foot view going, yeah, mm. everything looks good. It's kind of evening itself out that we don't have to be hyper-focused on exactly what it is right now, like the nutritional content of this particular meal. You're not going to get that whole like balanced picture with every single meal. That That's just an arbitrary definition. Um, it, it's something that it's trying to make it look picture perfect. And we all know life with a toddler is not picture perfect. Mm, right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, is that one of the yeah is that one of the ways then for parents to kind of help their kids keep their sense of when they're hungry and when they're full and not to become picky eaters just not to serve up the hyper palatable things you think your kids will definitely eat maybe they'll end up eating when they're not hungry like is that kind of where childhood obesity can start is when we we as adults kind of intervene too much? I think that the more that we can let kids start learning about their own bodies, mm. the better. And it, the, the toddler's not going to say, oh, wow, I really learned about my appetite today. Yeah. But if we can just kind of follow their lead in that sense. Now, I'm not saying following their lead as in giving mac and cheese at every meal because that's what the kid is leading us to do. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, really kind of saying, okay, I'm not going to be pushing them to have, you know, to, to finish all of the bites on this plate just to say we finished a meal. That's not listening to their appetite. When they're full, they should be able to say I'm full or, you know, whatever words you're using, but I've had enough. Okay or when I'm hungry, to be able to start like letting kids learn how, you know, what it is that hunger actually means. And part of that is just trusting them when they say I'm hungry. Okay, you're hungry. Let's go get some food. Mm -hmm. Let's serve you the food now. And I think the other part of your question is about, you know, what to serve. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, when we start going with the table foods, ideally, it will be serving the same meal for everyone, you know, as in like having the same foods. And you may have, you know, things cooked a little bit, you know, differently as far as like textures um, or, you know, consistency, depending on the age of the child. But we're modeling for kids what our our diet actually looks like, you know, how it is that we eat as a family. And so, you know, if you're serving 
I don't know, you know, some kind of like a, a pot pie for dinner. Yeah, awesome. You know, everybody can have their pot pie and they eat whatever they eat from there. Um, and the alternative is like becoming a short order cook where it's something where you're making all these like individual things. Well, you know, Johnny really likes the mac and cheese and, you know, Sarah, you know, will only eat um, grilled cheese and, you know, somebody else likes the the dino chicken nuggets and, you know, <laughs> right. that, that's what I call the short order cook where it's really, you know, kind of like accommodating these very particular um, food choices. And hopefully we can get ahead of that and start, you know, introducing a variety of different foods that kids feel safe to be able to sample or to mm-hmm. just say no, because they know how to say that, <laughs> just say yeah. no. And it's okay. If they say no today, it's okay. We can put it back out again tomorrow and we can keep on seeing, you know, how they're approaching. No pressure. Um, that That's part of that safe place to do this. There's no pressure. It does change day to day too, right? Because I know watching my <laughs> nieces and nephews, I mean, it'll be a favorite food one day and then the next day, maybe it even looks a little different and it's not a favorite food. I hate that food now, but then the next day it's back to the favorite food. So it's probably just being patient, I would imagine as well with the constantly changing preferences. It It is. And, you know, sometimes you just don't like something because you're wearing yellow today, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it's just, you know, the, the nature again of, of toddlerhood, but you know, this extends, you know, into the older ages as well. And it's okay. Now I do understand that for parents who have, um, well, for families who have a, uh, limited income, uh, limited, uh, you know, funds that they can put towards food, that can be an increased challenge when you see food that is considered to be wasted if kids don't eat it. Mm. So I am very sensitive to that. I still challenge that there are ways that we can address that as far as, you know, putting the, the plate back in the fridge, um, looking at, you know, what happens with that food that is not being eaten right now. Um, but still trying to encourage food, uh, kids to um, explore with their food to still offer them a variety of foods so that we can keep on trying to um, meet them where they are and yeah. to expand to expand their diet, you know, over time. Over time, it does not mean every day. Looking at that long, long game, if you will. I like that you bring that up, the idea that you know, the clean plate club may be too far extreme in one direction of kind of always requiring that. I know I grew up kind of in that culture or grandparents, especially that was something I remember a grandma saying of just you finish what's on your plate. And I wouldn't have been the one even to serve myself. She would have served me. So it's somebody else kind of deciding you're hunger for you, I guess, at a certain age and serving you the portions and expecting that you clean it. So seems like that is not the best idea, but then I totally get what you're saying on the other end of if you're not cleaning the plate, it doesn't have to be just that the next step is waste for everything else. It could be putting it back in Tupperware or something so that you're saving it for a part of a meal for lunch the next day or dinner the next day. Um, 
Is that kind of the yeah. idea, the philosophy here? Oh, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I love making my lunch the next day off of dinner, <laughs> whatever it is, like I, I get it then because of course it's all food that I will eat. Um, but <laughs> and it's so like, easy. There are so many ways to look at it. <laughs> yeah. So convenient. I'm such a huge fan of leftovers and, um, but I, I think it's so interesting what you're saying because, uh, I had one nutrition coaching client and, we, I realized a few weeks into working with her that she actually wasn't cooking in her house. Her partner was, and he was serving her every night because he really got a lot of joy out of preparing this meal and then putting her plate out for her. But eventually it kind of came out that she was eating way too much for dinner. She just wasn't that hungry and he was giving her these bigger portions. And so we talked about a way she could kindly speak with him and approach him and request that, you know, he still make the dinner and he serve them uh, maybe more family style and she could serve her own portions. And after just a few months, I mean, the weight was just melting off that she had been trying to lose for years. And it was just that one simple change of serving herself and kind of getting more in tune with her own hunger cues. And I'm wondering, how does that work? Is that something you encourage for kids as they age as well, serving themselves their portions? Absolutely. It, as you were telling me that story, I was picturing a child the entire time right? Um, because that that's so much of of their experience and so you know kind of going back to that part about the parent sets the table it's not serving the plate the mm. child actually in in this kind of like idealized version as as I'm describing it and what I'm practicing here um, in my home I put you know the different you know, things on the on the table, the different platters, and then the kids get to pick what it is and how much they're going to take. Now, I can go back to toddlerhood, and I did not practice this way when, you know, I was raising toddlers. Um, but how I would apply that now, would I have toddlers, is I would just put a little bit of each one of those foods on their plate until they get to learn how to do that plating themselves. But, you know, these are great skills for them to learn over time, like how to be able to serve themselves. And yes, mess comes with it. Mess comes <laughs> with learning. Mess comes with growth. Have fun with it. Take baths afterwards. <laughs> what if you're sitting back as your parent? Let's say you have a preteen and they're serving themselves, but you notice they're taking a lot more of the starch, let's say, if you've prepared a pasta and they're not taking the vegetables and the protein, how do you kind of guide the child without being, like you said at first, kind of causing that friction? How do you guide the child to a more balanced plate without being kind of the overseer or boss or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I think that the more preventative we can be, the better. So the earlier we start doing this, the more that we're doing the modeling and the more that we're practicing, we will see that it's just, you know, there's a variety of foods here and some days kids will want to eat the pasta and mm -hmm. that's okay. And then other days they'll eat 
the green beans or they'll eat, you know, the, the chicken or beans or, you know, whatever your protein is. Um, and ideally, okay, that's something that we've had lots of practice with it. Now, if this is a change, if this is something that's new to you, it's going to feel like, oh my goodness gracious, you're just eyeballing. They're just going for the rice. They're just going for the pasta. And the practice is really for us as parents to first just step back without mm. applying the pressure about you have to eat this. Because again, you know, as soon as you say you have to, you are going to meet resistance. That is part of their job description as preteens. <laughs> okay. The as light soon goes as the on. Says, yeah, my job's starting. <laughs> Oh yeah. my goodness. Hands go up and they're like, oh no, don't tell me what yeah. to do. And <laughs> even if they don't say it out loud, it's just part of their brain. It's like, no, I'm individualizing right now. And, <laughs> and so the more that we push, the more that they do push back, but it's also that opportunity for them to start listening to their own bodies. And I get it as parents were like, oh my goodness. And if they do this now, they're going to keep on doing this. We ha meaning like eating rice all the time for dinner or eating pasta all the time for dinner. And, and that's it. Um, there's some trust here mm. um, that and, and trust is learned and earned, you know, as far as and I'm not trying to rhyme. <laughs> that was the first time I ever said that before. I like it. Yeah. But, but it's still something that, you know, we have to learn how to trust our kids to give them the opportunity to really take it on as their own. And it may not always look exactly how you want it to look. And that's mm -hmm. okay. Right. What if a parent is listening who's always kind of struggled with their weight themselves and then they feel less able to kind of help a child that's struggling with weight? How do you help a parent navigate that? Mm, you are speaking directly to me here. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I got to tell you, with with the clients that I work with, more often than that, more often than not, that is exactly how they describe themselves. Um, that you know they have questions about their ability ability to help because of their own, you know, weight history or history of uh, different diets. And to be very honest with you, that means that you are the absolute best person to understand what they're going through right now. Hmm. And starting there, starting with just that, that opportunity, that, that doesn't mean that anything has gone wrong, that that doesn't mean that you need to look elsewhere. I want to be able to work with those parents in particular in order to recognize how that's they're in the perfect place to help their child. Nobody else is understanding their child like they can. Mm -hmm. But then also, that's where my focus is with really starting off with the parent. Well, how can I help you first by creating the habits, creating those patterns, those routines at home? And it starts off with you as the parent, and then you're modeling that with your kids. And it's not, you know, it, it's not about focusing on the weight. It's not about focusing on those 
you know, the individual meals, the individual foods, but really looking at the patterns of, you know, how do you talk about yourself? You know, how often, you know, like that, that part, um, you know, like a lot of parents will say, I, I don't feel like I'm the role model for my kids health, you know, based on X, Y, Z, my weight or my diets or whatever. And it's like, hold on a minute. You don't have to be some kind of picture of perfection in order to be a role model. You are already a role model right now. You get to choose what it is that you're modeling for your kids. Mm. And so if you pick up a sweet and say, oh, this is going to go straight to my buns or some very pejorative term, you know, phrase like that, you're modeling that for your kids. Right. So how can we work together to first recognize it's okay? Like, let's talk about our bodies. Let's talk about our journeys, like what we've been through just because, you know, you're different, um, you know, attempts at, at diets haven't worked in the past. Well, that just means that those didn't work. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you don't have another opportunity in front of you or another opportunity to have just a better relationship with your own body that you can then model with your children. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any tips for parents when they're navigating conversations with their kids' pediatricians? Mm, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, so here's the thing. I, I think that in the pediatrics office, there's been a lot of emphasis on identifying overweight and obesity. You know, you, you first, it, it's kind of like you got to name it to tame it has been the approach. And so um, physicians have been told over and over again to um, make sure you're checking the, the BMI. If you're greater than the 85th percentile, all right, you know, that's a child that's overweight, greater than the 95th, you've got obesity, you got to be able to identify it, code it, you got to discuss, make referrals, all this kind of stuff. So I say that. Because then when parents go in, they're like, why is my doctor always bringing up the weight? Mm. Well, it's kind of like these competing messages that are happening as far as like what we want to be faced with every single time we go and speak to the doctor. Like, you know, we, we talk about how my child's weight doesn't define them. But every time I go in, I hear about my child's weight. What's up with this? Right. And so I bring that up not to not to kind of excuse what's going on but to just kind of understand a little bit more about where that came from in the first place and then as a parent i got to tell you you know i i would say it depends on the type of conversation that you're looking to have with your child's physician and i would be straight up with the doc you know, hey, this is what I want to discuss more of with you. This is what I'd actually prefer that we don't discuss. Like, mm -hmm. I would just let them know where you are because everybody's approaching this from a different perspective. Right. And, you know, it, it's funny. We've done um, a, quite a bit of, of listening uh, sessions with, with parents here in the local community. 
And it's across the board as far as parents who say, I wish that my doctor would talk more about weight. Others who say, I wish my doctor would talk less about it. I wish that my doctor would give more resources. Um, I wish that my doctor would, you know, really try to focus more on particular aspects of my child's care. And so I haven't seen that there is one answer Mm -hmm. that we can say, okay, this is the change of practice that we need to do other than actually just opening up that line of communication with, you know, we as physicians need to open that up. And I think that parents, um, we need to empower the parents to be able to speak freely about what it is that's concerning them and how we can work together. And sometimes that may look like, you know what? I don't want to hear about the weight right now. You know, this isn't about the weight today. Um, you know, it, that sort of thing. And it's, I think it goes both ways about just being able to to communicate about what's on your mind right now. Because everybody's different. And I think that we've come to far too many um, conclusions and trying to lump everybody together about this is what we need to do. And it just doesn't meet individuals' needs. That makes a lot of sense just because, again, the doctor is coming from a place where maybe the patient before them, the parents did want to talk a lot about weight. And so they're just kind of trying to navigate with their best intentions and do their best. And so just kind of going in there with your expectations as a parent and kind of guiding the conversation, if you will. Well, and to be honest with you, that's where I, that's where I took this outside of the medical office, you know, as far as with my coaching approach, because I want to be able to talk with parents directly. I want to be able to talk with them individually without them feeling like they have to filter uh, what they're saying around their kids um, in order to, you know, make it so they don't have to ask their kids or ask the doctor to step out to have private conversations. And then, you know, kids are wondering what's going on and what are they missing? Um, I I think that there's a very big role for parents just being able to have unfiltered conversations about what do they think about their child's eating and, you know, their eating habits or, their their weight what does that mean to them and a lot of times they understandably don't want to have that conversation in front of their kids yeah and so it's i don't i firmly believe that this is not something that's going to be exclusive to the medical office and especially you know with like the medicalization of weight i i think we really need to really step back and say, you know, where do we really want to be able to have these discussions? Where do we really want to take this? And I think it's, it's in the community. It's actually in the home. Well, I'm so grateful for everything you've shared with us today. Um, I've learned so much myself and I know my listeners will as well. A final question I ask each of my guests is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Mm, I love that question. Oh my goodness. So here's the thing. I think that health is an investment. Um, Just 
everything that we're doing for our health is an investment. It's not a static thing. You know, you look at the definitions of health and it's kind of like this um, absence of illness, kind of like there's this just <laughs> like you've achieved this. And I see health as what we're doing all the time to kind of fill our proverbial cup. You know, what mm. is it that's energizing us? What is it that is nourishing us? What is it that is helping us grow? And so health, you know, I see this as whatever the opposite of static is, but it's just, you know, evolving and it's something that grows with us. And so by, by definition, it's, it's an investment over time. You're investing in yourself and it doesn't have to take one particular view. Like, you know, that's why there's so many different aspects to health. And so the more that I just, I have my hands in front of me here, like I'm trying to hold this big cup, my big cup of health, and I'm always investing in it, whether it's what I'm eating or what I'm reading or what I'm, you know, how I'm moving or how I'm just, you know, going somewhere completely silent. It's investing in my health. That, that's the health investment. It's finding what fills your cup kind of sounds like a wellness and well-being type of approach right now but I honestly think that that's probably where we where I want it to be I don't know that's yeah. where we need to go it's where I want to be um, because yeah it, it's it's evolving with us as we keep on growing beautiful response I love I love that way of looking at it and I was visualizing the cup you were holding as you were talking <laughs> I'd love if you could finally share where listeners can follow and find you. Oh my goodness. Please come and join me. So um, my name is Wendy Schofer, MD. I am not very creative. So my website is wendyschofermd.com. Love it. <laughs> and then my program is called Family in Focus. So of course, my podcast is family and focus with Wendy show for MD. <laughs> I love it. Hey, I mean, clear is best, right? Clear and concise. Just get to the point. I am not winning points for creativity, nor do I want them right now. <laughs> that is okay. And I think what you're doing is so much more than a name of anything. So I will put links to all of those places in the show notes so people can easily click through and connect with you. And again, I'm just so grateful for having you here today and for everything you shared with us. Thank you so much. You have totally filled my cup today. So Aww. thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.